Welcome to Season 3 of The Lifestyle Chase, and I'm your host, Chris Little. This podcast features high performers who have found a way to live their best life while balancing their health, wellness, friends, and family. To help this podcast grow, please share it on social media, rate five stars, tell your friends, and check out the past 140 episodes and counting. You can follow me on Instagram at Christian Little and at The Lifestyle Chase. Thanks for listening. Let's get started. So welcome to The Lifestyle Chase. This is episode 150. And I've brought back some very popular guests, good friends of mine, Farah and Nahid Sharif. Um, it's been 137 episodes since you guys have been last on the podcast. Time has just flown by. Um, first of all, I'm going to get you guys to give a little bit of an, an intro of yourselves. We'll start with Nahid, just like as if you're at a party and somebody's just like meeting you or you're at a gathering or at a business meeting, like your typical scenario where you have to like kind of give a bit of a background info of yourself. Okay. Well, um, I'm an industrialist. I'm in hospitality. I own and operate, um, six restaurants, um, father of three, husband of 20 years, almost 21 years. And, um, I just, uh, I love the business I'm in. I love talking to people. I love networking. I enjoy everything I do. And, um, yeah, that's it. I love it. So Dr. Farah, your turn. My turn. Um, I'm a daughter of immigrants who came to Canada in the early sixties. Both my parents are educators. My dad, uh, has multiple degrees in microbiology and was a, a prof, um, at a college here in Edmonton, and my mom was a school administrator for a number of years. I am a, an assistant lecturer at the University of Alberta in the Department of Educational Policy Studies. I'm also uh, a consultant, an anti-racism consultant. I've been working with um, various organizations around Canada, that range from community services to um, medical faculties, um, schools, administrators, teachers, students, you name it. Um, I used to teach fitness, but COVID has kind of cramped those plans and I hope to come back to it soon. Um, And I have three beautiful queens that we are raising. Um, I think that's it. We have two little doggies. I forgot. <laughs> I'm not going to be scratching at the door. That might make an appearance. That's about it. So talking about dogs, because it's good to keep the, the topics kind of light sometimes. I want to know how have has being a dog owner changed your guys' lives? Like uh, whichever one of you wants to contribute, but just to kind of like give, give some insight into the journey of being a dog owner, what it was like before you got a dog and like lessons that you've learned that you didn't expect that you would learn. I think cleanup <laughs> is a really big part of that. Give it it's this. something that we didn't have an issue with when we had cats. Uh, it's constant cleanup with these dogs. They're really, 
they're not messy creatures, but they, they, like, they like to send messages. They but, leave little gifts, one of them straight down there. <laughs> they have to be careful where you uh, walk. Where you walk all the time. No, no, no that's not true. Yeah, we're choosing those. That's not yeah. true. They're not that bad. Maybe just once in a while. Um, we had two cats before our dogs. Um, our cats lived for 20 some years. They were my first born. Um, I never thought I'd be a dog person ever. I'm now someone who will literally cry if I see a dog that looks sad or a commercial or a dog movie or a dog yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, my youngest daughter has asked often if we love our dogs more than our kids. She might not be wrong. Um, yeah, I love my dogs. They're like the biggest joy outside of having children. They're loving creatures. Yeah. They're loving creatures. So hard day at work or you stressed out. It's so beautiful because when you sit down, they just come and cuddle up next to you. And I think they sense when you're stressed out or anxious or, um, so they're really loving animals, very different than the cats that were like, see ya, peace no, out. No, the cats were very independent. They didn't require a lot of, you know, a lot of time or, you know, they kind of just kept to themselves, but they had their own, I believe that they have their own energy. But your question, we're totally off topic right now. His question was advice or lessons learned. So lesson number one, if you can afford it, get pet insurance. Yeah. Um, dogs like to eat things often. That was embarrassing. Not, yeah. <laughs> so we were lucky enough to be able to get uh, pet care insurance. And so that saved our asses many times and continues to do so. And the second thing, um, if you don't, if you're not careful of where, you know, you put their surroundings, um, they will let you know. And so we have two baseboards and other nice things that are happening in our house because they may not be happy with certain living arrangements for them right now. Um, and recently, as people may have seen on my Instagram, that Ruby is obsessed with our garage and uh, she is taking up permanent home outside of our garage door in inside the house, but outside that back door. Mm-hmm. She has a bed there, she's water. She's quite happy at the back door. But if anybody out there is thinking of getting a dog and once you think about it, like there's no going back, Christian, hint, hint, you need to get a dog. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's yeah. on my list of things. There's a lot of things that I need to take care of. But I thought like a year like this year with so many different things that has gone that have gone on, um, I think a lot of people have really grown to appreciate how impactful simply the connection of like a pet can be. Um, And in the cases where there is not a pet present, it's always great to really lean into the connections that you have with friendships and with family, stuff like that. Um, Something that I wanted to kind of segue towards, Nahid, you had brought up uh, stress and how dogs kind of helped you with stress. Um, And I think a lot of people see you as like a business owner, as someone who is just like kicking ass and taking names and they might assume that you never get stressed. So I kind of want to dive into that a little bit further. Talk about like a time when you've really honestly felt stressed and you might not have had the answers. And what did you do to move forward from that situation? Well, I mean, the industry I'm in uh, is one of the hardest hit industries in COVID. 
So it's stress all the time. Um, I manage it with the help of my family and manage it with the help of um, training, running, spin. Um, I do all of those things to manage that. Um, so I start my day with that. The other thing along um, the lines of having dogs is the first thing that they do when you see them is it's like they have never seen you or they've missed you for years and years and years. So they run up to you and they're jumping all around and then they fully like will lay on their backs and want a full rub down. So it's, um, it kind of takes your mind off things and you're very relaxed. Um, and so that just settles me down, but you know, being in COVID and, uh, the business that we're in, it's, it is, uh, it's a constant stressor. Um, we don't know when the next health authority is going to tell us to close. We don't know if, um, you know, if our staff will contract something that will end up shutting our restaurants down. Um, it's just a difficult process, but you know, we're, we're in a position where, you're right. I don't, I don't let the stress get the best of me. I sit, I um, meditate, contemplate and uh, organize my thoughts on a daily basis and then get back to work. And here is Ruby. Yeah. This is Ruby. <laughs> so you talk about kind of organizing yes. your thoughts and um, that's something that I can definitely relate to. I think a lot of people can relate to that in how um, sometimes you just have to get things out on paper. What does that look like for you in your routine? Like what is organizing your thoughts for Nahid? So I do that. I do that daily. Um, and I have a long-term vision and a short-term vision. Uh, so I'll, I'll plan backwards from 10 years and then um, – 10, 5, 1, and then on a daily basis. So, but every morning I organize my thoughts. I don't, I used to do it on paper. I don't need to do it on paper anymore. Um, I do the long-term um, planning on paper, but the short-term planning, I don't. Well, I think that's, that's something a lot of people have in common. Like I've talked to, if anybody goes back in the episodes and listens to the episode with Scott McWalter, um, he's based out of Prince George and he had a very similar strategy for um, planning out goals, um, doing that whole 10-year, 5-year, working back. Um, I think putting a visual to things or getting analytical or using the statistics that you have in front of you and then using like the processes to move forward is helpful but then i wonder like where where do you source your motivation from like what what fuels your next big idea or what is the thing that influences what's at the end of the 10 years for you when you're making your plan that's a really great question um i love to build things so it never stops so i'm already planning 10 years from now so if we could say 10 years from now, I'll be here, but I'm still at stage eight year of the previous 10 year or stage six year of the previous 10 year. It's like a constant. So I've got, I've got um, reoccurring goals and ones that are based on growth of our businesses. Um, and sometimes that's a good thing. And sometimes that's a bad thing. But um, I love to build things, Chris. It's like, I, I, I don't get bored in what I do and it's a constant learning process. So um, I'm, I'm, you know, our, our latest project is in a residential tower, which I've never dealt with building a restaurant in a residential tower. And this is a whole new set of complications that I never knew existed. I thought it'd be really easy to do. And it's super difficult. And it's, uh, it's very challenging uh, mentally and physically. So, 
What gives you confidence when you're up against a challenge like that, when you're kind of feeling like, oh, you, you don't have the, the expertise or the wheelhouse that you might have had in another direction? You're in a new direction, kind of feeling a bit like unsure, like what gives you that sense of certainty or what gives you that push to take the step forward? Um, you know, that's a great question. I, I, I think I motivate myself internally. I, I have a lot of faith in what I can do. And I research like crazy. So if I feel like I don't know something or I want to learn something about um, a certain piece of what I'm doing or a product I'm buying or I over and hyper analyze um, and hyper research it. So then I don't feel like it hasn't been done before. It's nothing new. Someone's built a restaurant in a residential tower. So I just need to find how they did it, what they did, what challenges they went through. And then it makes it a whole lot easier. So I already know people have done this for years i just need to find the right people to get that information to me well that's awesome like i think that's something that a lot of people that listen to podcasts are going to really like think about they're going to be like well why do i listen to podcasts to hear about people that have done a thing already and see if i can figure out how to do it too i'm gonna turn the table a little bit here and we're talking to farah now um Within the year 2020, Farah, um, you and I have talked about connection quite a bit, and I know that you can expand on it quite a bit um, in terms of just like checking in on people and connection. Like, what has your experience been with? with that like i know that i can speak personally on the times that you've checked in on me and how meaningful that was so i can say that you are someone that is very good with intuition and knowing when to just send somebody a text or have a visit with somebody but uh, i just want to hear your words and what your experience with that has been and if you've perhaps learned anything that 2020 has taught you about connection and like the true meaning of it and not just the social media putting up a post type Hmm. Really good question. Um, I think back to what my life was like this time last year. Um, I had just left cycle bar. Um, I feel like the experiences and the people that I met there were literally life changing. I think that I'm still in, in pretty regular communication with a lot of people that I met as a result of teaching fitness. Um, I think that connection looks different for everyone. I think now that we're in our early 40s, for us, connection is very much about, um, you know, checking in with people um, who have similar um, struggles, but also have very different struggles. I also think that I've, I've learned very, uh, you know, I guess slowly over the course of my young adulthood and into, you know, adulthood that um, there's, there's a lot of different types of people in the world. Uh, I am confident in saying that I'm very much someone who uh, I, I love hard. I, 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 I give a lot of myself to people. Um, I don't often expect the same in return though. Uh, I think that 2020 has shown me, um, you know, I used to like the word resilience, but I actually hate it now. <laughs> I think it's a very, uh, 
coded word for how much you can tolerate before uh, you break. And the ability to get back up once you're broken is very much dependent on your life circumstances. And I think, uh, really, I, I really do. I think, um, you know, words like grit and resiliency uh, are making their way out of my uh, vocabulary because... Um, you know, some people might have like life circumstances that don't, you know, don't create a platform for them to be able to get back up. Um, and, and that's, that's, you know, partly from privilege. It's partly from, you know, socioeconomic status. There's so many different layers to that, but I think, um, connection for me, it is very much, uh, you know, intentional. I think, um, my circle is very small. I like it to call it my board of directors. <laughs> it's very small. Um, I do, I do feel like I've made some, some deeper connections uh, with people that have always been there as a result of COVID. And I also feel like I've trimmed some of the, uh, unnecessary threads that were just kind of hanging on. And I don't really feel, the need um, to continue to, to, you know, pull on. And so connection for me is very intentional. It's, it's somewhat reciprocal. I don't always expect the same and um, kind of no strings attached. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's kind of an exchange of energy in the sense that like we only have so much energy and so we kind of have to be, be smart and, and tactful in the directions that we give our energy and it's not necessarily a bad thing if we're not able to give energy to everybody. It's, it's a very realistic thing. And for yeah. us to be able to find the people that kind of match, that match our value system and um, are kind of headed in the same direction, like similar 10 year goals, similar five year goals is just going to make it a lot easier to sustain that level of energy. Cause if, if you're dedicating a lot of yourself to someone that's going in the complete opposite direction, you're just going to run out. Um, I know that that's an experience that I've had from time to time, um, in reflecting on COVID again, because there is so much to talk about, but it's easier to really dial it down to specific topics and for me what i've really gained a lot from is hearing the lessons that people have learned about themselves like in this time where we get introspective and we kind of we realize things that we never expected we'd realize so far is there anything that stood out to you that you've realized about yourself that you never expected that you'd realize like things things that haven't been brought up with regards to connection just new things altogether um hmm, what have i learned about myself uh hmm. you always ask hard questions <laughs> okay uh what have i learned I, like about that I know right because then it gives you time to think i think that what i've learned about myself is uh i Fitness was a huge part of my my life for so long and, and still is. I, I feel like um, I've discovered who I am not necessarily needing a fitness platform. That was a really tough lesson for me. Um, so much of my uh, joy in teaching fitness classes was 
making people feel seen um, because I, I had, you know, I grew up feeling invisible and, and there's nothing more gratifying than, you know, shining something in someone that you recognize might be lacking. And for those of us who feel invisible, it's really easy to spot others like us. And so I think so much of what filled me up, you know, teaching fitness was the ability to see people who are deeply hurt or struggling and um, make them feel recognized and seen. And so much of what I also loved about teaching fitness was the ability to do that for people. Um, that makes, you know, anybody would be fooling themselves if they thought that teaching fitness didn't bring joy because you also feel heard and seen. Um, I think um, my my departure from fitness last fall, the, the um, you know, on my terms, uh, was probably one of the most difficult things I had to do. But I think it fostered a sense of um, determination in myself to um, sit with uh, a very uncomfortable place. And I taught my last class a year ago yesterday uh, with spin. And um, it, it's been hard. It's been hard to sit with, uh, you know, the thoughts that get trapped in your head uh, that you end up kind of, that's how I used to teach my classes. I would, it was very much catharsis for me. I would be working through my own things that people were, could relate to. And so, when you don't have a place for those thoughts to go, they kind of get trapped. And um, for me, teaching fitness was so much of like that energy exchange, like kind of running through you and like once it's gone, it's gone. So it's very, it was very therapeutic um, for myself and for people who took classes with me. So I think what I learned about myself this year was the ability to sit with all that energy and do something with it. And it hasn't always been easy. Um, I think sitting in silence and not always feeling like you need to figure things out is um, is a skill that that is uh, a hard skill to learn. Um, what else I've learned about myself is that I don't I don't rest. I don't take time to rest. And um, for uh, hyperactive, overachieving. Uh, daughter to, you know, immigrant parents who was always, you know, taught the value of doing more, being better um, for my own good uh, to survive in this world. Um, that's a constant internal dialogue that's hard to turn off. And um, I'm definitely one of those people, if I'm sitting with nothing to do or nothing to read or nothing to mark or nothing to prepare, I feel restless. And so what I've learned about myself is um, that's, that's a coping strategy actually for this need to be always busy is a coping strategy in response to either stress or, or trauma. And so sitting with that, you know, energy that I always need to be doing something, um, I didn't realize that about myself. He used to joke with me all the time. Like, you always need to be moving. You always need to be out of the house. You always need to be doing something. But uh, it didn't occur to me that that was coming from somewhere that was broken until, um, until it was kind of too late. And so 
I'm, I'm starting to embrace the art of doing nothing. <laughs> and I, I kind of like it, actually. I'm not going to lie. You bug me about that sometimes. But sometimes I get into bed and I, uh, I'm reading or I'm watching the news and I literally, it's time for snacks. And that's when he goes to the kitchen and gets me snacks. Well, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I've learned. That's important context. I think it's important for people to maybe check themselves because like I know a lot of people that are going to gravitate towards this podcast. First of all, they're probably going to have some background on you and maybe maybe they just have never understood like why you were so passionate about fitness and why you are still passionate about fitness. Like truthfully, you're both still very active. So you still have a platform within fitness. That That's one thing that I've had to wrap my head around personally is that uh, regardless of whether we have riders in a class or people in the gym, like if, if we have control over our ability to utilize fitness, then we have fitness as our, our platform. Like in, in tough days, if we know how to create a workout or we know where the good walking trail is, then we have our platform. Um, but really dialing it back and focusing in a bit more, I am actually going to turn the table again. Keep you guys on your toes. Um, Nahid, you're super competitive. That's something that I know to be true about you. And we talk about, uh, like energy balance and like how to, um, hold back when we need to hold back and how to press forward when we need to press forward. There's so many opportunities for you to compete. There's been probably so many instances where you've had to decide, okay, am I, am I going to move forward in this direction or in this direction? Cause I can only pick one. Um, what, what are the guidelines that you follow for yourself? Like what's your inner compass in deciding like, where are you going to compete and where are you going to step back? I don't think I've said that yet. I think I like to compete on every level. Um, you know what COVID has done, Chris? It's, um, it's slowed down that process. Up. So I take my time to think through multiple directions. But I, to be honest with you, I haven't slowed or decided that in this arena, I don't want to compete. I, I want to be competitive in every arena. And um, what COVID's done is just allow me to strategize how I'm going to do that and how I'll compete. But um, it's engaged me further in wanting to grow and do things that I didn't do or, um, you know, um, create different goals for myself or for a family. Um, but it's also aligned the position that I'm in as a dad and a husband um, and a support network for Farah and the kids to ensure that I don't spend all of my time just concentrating on just me and ensuring that I concentrate on what um, their goals and aspirations are too. So I'm, I'm still I'm still very competitive. Well, and that's not going anywhere. <laughs> I, I like that uh, every so often I see like such such shade thrown in your Instagram story. I think that's why I gravitate towards you because I'm like, that seems like something I'd say. And I just like hesitate. But he's just like all in. He's like, no, I'm tossing that out there. Saturdays for, are for like strategizing. And well, the the last one I put up was pretty spicy. That one was good. But yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, I just 
kind of cathartic to put things on stories about how I'm feeling at that moment in time. And when I tell the world about it or I post something, I, I feel better internally. It's kind of like, it, it just makes me feel good. It's um, not about and me. It's, and it's, it's true. Like I feel, you know, or, or today was um, uh, a post about Farah and that's, it was? I thought, sure it was. Yeah. Oh, and so that's just, it. just, that's how I feel that day. And I allow myself to explore that through my story. But yeah, yeah, I was throwing a little bit of shade yesterday. That was not. I have to go. I I feel like I'm behind. I have to go check his uh, check his content out. Is this a like a feed or or on your? No, it was just it was just a picture with a little comment. Oh, about it was when I was silent. Stories and it's just I mean, like you got to watch out for Nahid when he's silent. Like it's it's either it's uh, probably not good news. <laughs> this is true. The other day, uh, Ruby chewed the baseboard by the back door, and I showed it to him, and I was like waiting for it. And uh, he just walked away, and I was like, "Shit." <laughs> well, yeah, but that's. Just, I mean, there's uh, those. Those aren't. I used to get stressed about stuff like that. I don't get stressed about that kind of stuff anymore. It is what it is. It'll get fixed. It's so minor. That's what COVID stopped me too. It's just slow it down. Yeah. Slow your roll, man. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's that's context, but you kind of you you gave me some stuff to work with there with with what you were saying. Like you you are competitive. You don't dial back on the competitiveness. However, it's it's kind of like when you're looking at a workout program, and it's like everybody has the the capability to fill a workout full of things and just work until they're tired, and then not be able to do things the next day, but it it takes a special mind to be able to um like look at the things that are going to benefit you the most and be all in on those things in order for them to benefit you in return to make that sustainable and something that i promote a lot is no matter no matter how much you want to succeed no matter how much you want a business to grow or how much you want your career to to move forth it's it's important to have that balance of both like prioritizing like meaningful friendships and prioritizing um time with family and that's something that you both always uh promoted um and with having had more time to reflect during covid Nahid, is there anything that you've learned about your family or close friends or your support group that you didn't realize before 2020? Yeah, I don't, I don't think I took, um, I think I took seeing them on a daily basis for granted. Um, being at home now a lot more often, I get to enjoy a lot more moments with them. And there's things that I'll see them do that I don't think I noticed before. Um, and it could be small quirks or um, eating lunch together, eating breakfast together. Um, it's, it's, it's so enjoyable as opposed to running from place to place. Um, I feel that we have a lot more time for ourselves. Far and I talk a lot more. We meet with our parents on a daily basis. So either hers or mine. And we, I feel like we call them more often than we did before. My mom just called, actually. Yes. <laughs> While we were in our podcast. But, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it allows me oh, the opportunity. Oh, there you go. Right it allows us the opportunity to just slow things down and enjoy them. And I, I'm, I'm enjoying every moment 
um, with our family. And that's something that it's not that I didn't enjoy every moment, but there's so many more moments now. And, um, and it creates a more loving environment. Well, and isn't that crazy too? Cause like nobody would wish an, a pandemic upon themselves. Like nobody says, Oh yeah, sign me up for the COVID-19 experience. I want to be stressed, worry about business and have to stay in my house. But it comes with these yeah. blessings. Like it comes with things that, that changes probably forever. Like I know my personal experience, I've, I've actually like, I've been pretty regular at talking to my parents on the phone and stuff, but like I've helped them chopping wood. I've helped them with all kinds of stuff around the house. I've bonded even more with my brothers. Like it's, it's crazy what happens in times of turbulence. Um, if we go back in the time machine, let's say like 20 years, is there a time of turbulence yeah. in your career that you can kind of think of where you've learned something that changed the way you did business from that moment forward? Oh, that's a really good question, Chris. Um, I think, um, I think what I learned back then was, and, and it's, it's, grown further in COVID is I can, I don't need to work harder. I need to work smarter. Um, and not necessarily, it's not about, I know everybody says put in the time and you'll get this, but, um, time is an equation of, uh, effort too, right. And strategy. And so I put in more time into strategizing and focusing on the right things that will make an impact in less time. Um, and I know it sounds really weird the way I'm saying it, um, but before I, I would work for hours on hours on hours and not really get anything accomplished. Um, and now I can work in half the amount of time and get 200% more stuff accomplished. And so if I look at the old me versus the new me, I think age is a big factor of that. Um, and, and of course, being at home and having kids and, uh, teaches us time organization. So there's been a lot of other effects to that that have changed my working world. Um, but yeah, that, that would be it. That would be it is I just, I felt like you always needed to be working and you don't always need to be working because you can be learning through other factors and there's other things that will help you achieve your goals. I love it. So Farah, now that you're back, I'm going to turn the table over to you now. Um, so you're also pretty competitive. I know you pretty well. I I know that when, <laughs> when you want to show up big, you do everything that you can. And that leads me to asking you a very similar question because you're only going to have so much energy. You're someone that guards your energy very carefully. Um, what are the things, especially after this year with all the, the changes that you've experienced just in your day to day and in your routine and in how you lead your life? Like what are the things that kind of define what you're going to be the most competitive at? Like what are, what's, what's your compass? Um, what I'm going to be the most competitive at, um, I think right now, a lot of my work, um, one, I have learned that my work is part of me, not, it doesn't define who I am. And I think, uh, when I was in my twenties and thirties, having kids and still building my career and trying to, 
establish um, some street cred uh, as a fitness professional. Um, I think I think so much of who you are is dependent on what you do. And I think I've gotten to a point now where um, so much of who I am is who I'm raising. Uh, so in terms of where I shift my time and energy in terms of competitiveness, it's I would say it's within myself to be um, a really active, conscious parent. I feel like I've always been an active, conscious parent, but I feel like we're we're raising kids in a in a time where um, it's so important that they understand so many things that we learned. I think in our twenties and thirties, maybe, uh, and and yes, there's an element of. Uh, you know, they need to be kids and learn things, you know, when they need to learn them. But I want my girls to be strong and confident. I want them to look for happiness in themselves and not necessarily find that happiness um, in others primarily. Uh, so for me, it's my own, my moral compass is kind of just holding myself to a higher standard of parenting. Um, secondly, I think in my work, um, world uh there is um all of a sudden a uh, very strong interest in how to be a better person and anti-racism as a result of what happened in the spring specifically um i've been doing much this shit my whole life though <laughs> i feel like i my first master's degree back in 2002 which was like 18 years ago was in anti-racist education and my phd from 2012 was also in anti-racist education so you know it's taken 20 years i feel for people to kind of start noticing but it's never too late and so for me um in terms of competition um i would reframe that in terms of actually just offering um, uh, an unfiltered version of what I've been doing for like 20 years now is educating people on um, what it means to be a good person. Um, I think there's something magical that happens when you turn 40 that you don't really give a shit what other people think of you anymore to a degree. Um, and so I'm done. I'm I'm done apologizing for my intellect. I'm done apologizing for how I come across. I'm done apologizing for how I make people feel. Uh, I'm done apologizing for other people's feelings. Uh, and, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of that comes from, um, just experience, I think with a lot of, a lot of things. And so, you know, this notion of competition, I would reframe it as, um, being being true to myself um, and and teaching and um, existing in a way that feels a little bit more authentic, kind of unmasked. Well, I mean that's that's a perfect way to answer it because honestly, like there's a lot of trainers in the industry, whether they be from the U.S. or from the U.K. or Canada, that they they identify themselves so much with, with what their career has become or which credentials that they have or the accomplishments that they've made or how many likes their post got. And they, they lose sight of how valuable it is to really dial it in with like, what, what is your like legacy as it were, like whether they have kids or whether they have values that they want to represent, like 
what what are they doing all of this for? Because if it gets taken away, what do they have left? And even from like a right. business growth standpoint, like if you are focused on on things that uh, are sustainable, like like family, like friends, like what what you are truly passionate about, not necessarily what has like the the quickest validation. Like if you are focused on things that kind of aren't going anywhere then you're going to be able to stay the course in in troubling times you're going to be able to um find what you need to find in the times when you don't know what you're looking for because i know like a lot of people with much more experience than me in in training um as soon as they found how to disconnect themselves from their career they were able to find ways to to level up and also to gravitate towards other like-minded people that were able to support them to their goals like if somebody had like a a 10-year plan well that's that's a long haul like that you're gonna need some some people that know how to check in on you in tough times and kind of know what your vision is and really understand it and have some buy-in very similar farah to how you talked about in the room how you're able to kind of like sense hurt or pain or or like just people go through things. Everybody's fighting some kind of a battle. And when we can see that in each other, in a room, through social media, then we almost enlist ourselves in, in being supportive or at least open dialogue people um, to, to really narrow it back in and get us back on track. There's been something that I've started doing in the episodes as of late. I think it's been since like episode 120 or so. And I've had my guests put out a challenge for my audience. And it's not just like any challenge. It's, it's something that uh, is deeply meaningful to you that uh, has maybe helped you personally. And it doesn't have to be like a cliche answer. It can be truly any answer that you want it to be. And it's for the audience that if they take it on, you believe that it would enhance their life or um, give them some much needed perspective. So I'm going to start with you, Nahid. What would your challenge be that you'd put out to the audience? Um, so I was recently challenged with... Um, uh, a family member that I have a very difficult time with. Um, one that's been challenging for me for a number of years. And um, in in talks with Farah, and so we communicate about everything, uh, the challenge to me was to put away that negativity and all of that old baggage and do things to um, try to nurture, create a relationship again. And so that's something that I didn't want to face and I didn't want to do. And it took me a good 48 hours to talk through it with Farah. Um, but I did do it and I reached out and um, I, um, I said it in a very honest, open, transparent, uh, heartwarming, loving way. And, um, and was still met with resistance. Um, so the challenge doesn't always equal what you put into it and, and it takes time. And it's like, it's like a, it would be like setting a goal for a period of time. I don't know when that, when that the goal is to build a relationship back up. I don't know when that'll happen, but I would put that challenge out to people listening. Um, sometimes there's, um, people in your life that, uh, go away and, um, 
you might want to, uh, if, if you're able to, uh, rebuild something that doesn't allow you to um, have it cause conflict internally over a number of years. And, and it has. And so that was my way of trying to continue to make it better. So what's your challenge? Challenge is to try to do what I did. Um, reach out and um, build or nurture a situation that may be salvageable. Yeah, I like that. It's kind of regardless of like, regardless of the consequence. Yeah. Outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Leaning into uncomfortable situations yeah, without expectations, kind of thing. Just like. Uh, being willing to get a little bit uncomfortable uncomfortable for the sake of either clarity or or like progress but that makes sense i, I like that yeah. farah do you have a challenge for the audience um my challenge would be to uh really sit back and examine your own uh privileges and biases. And if you don't think you have privileges or biases, give me a call. <laughs> we'll have a conversation. Um, and being open to having your opinions about things um, challenged. I think so many people online uh, speak from opinion uh, as opposed to any kind of uh, informed background and you don't have to have a PhD in anti-racism to be informed. Um, there are so many people that I know that have done, you know, tons of reading, uh, you know, and understand different sources um, and are very knowledgeable on the topic of privilege and bias and race. Um, so my challenge for your listeners would be to really step into yourself and examine your own uh, biases and aspects of privilege and um, think about how those privileges and or biases make your life, um, you know, different from other people and start there. Well, I think that's important, especially with the concept that, uh, when we find ways to support people around us with what could be a privilege or just with with what we might not have been aware that they needed support with that we could offer that support like by helping people around us rise up that's going to help us as well it's going to produce a better environment it's going to enhance our life like having conversations with people from all different careers and all different backgrounds and ages and income brackets, like that truly enhances life. And to learn more about people, yeah. I think that's, that's uh, one of the most underrated things a person could possibly do to, to be able to have conversations and understand mm -hmm. deeper. But there I go rambling. Um, as we keep ourselves on our timeline for today, I'm going to basically wrap this up, but thank you so much for joining me again for our second installment of Farah and Nahid on the Lifestyle Chase. So thank you so much for coming on the show again. Thanks for having us. It's so amazing to see how, uh, number one, how your subscription base has grown, and number two, just uh, listening to your podcast us and your interview skills and you know the different um, variety and diversity in your guests and just seeing me navigate 
um, incredible issues that are happening um, that are really salient and, and top of mind for people. And you find um, the most intriguing and inspiring guests to kind of speak to what's going on in the world. So continue that amazing work. It's, it's really inspiring for so many people. Thank you. 